We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 today. It's a passage that is normally connected to the previous paragraph. In fact, I had a really hard time finding uh, many pastors or guys who had written or said a whole lot about these three little verses. But I want to, I want to show you something. I, when I go on, uh, when, when Susan and I go on vacation, y'all know I love to go to the mountains. Oftentimes we, we also enjoy going to the beach, but I love the mountains. And one of the reasons is just the grandeur and the open spaces. I, I, I even just love getting out and driving through the prairies with no other cars in my way. Uh, that's one of my favorite things. But we stopped for lunch one day, and I've got a photo that we're going to put up, in fact, a couple of them. We stopped for lunch one day when we were uh, up in the Bighorn Mountains in northern Wyoming, and we were just driving on dirt and gravel uh, forest service roads. And I walked way, you know, I just walked back uh, down this creek, and uh, I was looking at this incredible grandeur. And the mountains that are back behind, you can see the pickup up there. That's, we actually just had lunch on the tailgate. It's my brother's truck, and then the mountains back behind that are massive, and, and, and they don't even look that big because of the perspective of this photo. It's just a beautiful, grand, open meadow with these mountains and all this beautiful stuff behind it. And I'm just in awe of the beauty and the majesty and the glory of all of this big picture of God's creation. And yet, while I'm doing that, there is a, a problem with this photo. Besides the fact that the pickup truck's in it, Go ahead and zoom into the next photo, and you can see a little bit better. It looks like a rock right down in front of that pickup. That's a woman in my photo. My wife is photobombed me without me knowing it. It looks like she's praying, but she's not. And, and here's the point of today, uh, of this illustration. She has paused, and she's gotten down on her hands and knees, and she's examining the most beautiful intricate, tiny, purple flowers. So while I'm looking at the majesty and the glory of all of these mountains and all of this meadow and, and the snow up there and the creek running through the, the meadow, she noticed the beauty, in fact, the glorious beauty of some of the coolest looking tiny purple flowers. And sometimes when we walk through scripture, we take a look at the big picture but we don't stop to pause at some of the most marvelous, beautiful images of God in Scripture. Read with me 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Peter says, concerning this salvation. Now, he is just, we talked about it last week, starting up in verse 3. We talked about this living hope that we have in Christ that comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ through his sacrificial death on the cross, through God's grace, through God's mercy. We talked about the, the inheritance, the unfading uh, inheritance that we have through Christ. And then Peter continues to talk about that. So he comes to verse 10 and he, he stops and he's going to take these three verses just to focus in on this one important topic. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the pure spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things we have now been announced to you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Now, I want you to, to notice what Peter says concerning this salvation. The prophets of old, those great prophets like Elisha, who saw chariots of fire surrounding the mountain that had come to destroy the, the army that was out to get him. Elijah, who was taken away in a chariot of fire. These, these great men who saw prophecies of, of Christ, who saw prophecies of of the future coming of Christ, who saw prophecies of, of the day of the Lord when, when Christ would return victorious. These great prophets of old investigated carefully things concerning salvation. Not only the prophets of old, but even angels, Peter says, angels today Stoop down. In fact, the word that's used here is translated in the CSB, long to catch a glimpse, literally means to stoop down and to examine closely. That's what caused me to think of that photo of Susan. Angels get down on their knees to examine as close as they can the beauty and the glory of this salvation that we have through Christ. The, 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 this amazing grace that we sang about in the first song, the beauty of, of God's glory, of his love that he has poured out on us through the blood of Christ is a marvelous, amazing, beautiful, intricate thing that far too often we as Christians, if you've been a Christian very long, just take for granted. And you move on. So I want us to, to take some time to look at it a little bit more closely today. What is it that makes salvation, this grace of God, what is it that makes it so amazing? Well, first of all, it, it, it's, it's, it's historical. It's been there all along from Genesis chapter 3. The first gospel was proclaimed by God when he said that I will send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent, he, he was preparing in a way, he was predicting and preparing a way for your salvation and my salvation from the very beginning when we sinned. You see, God's salvation expressed in Noah's life as God rescued his family. You see, God's salvation expressed in Abraham as he called Abraham by faith to come out into a, a new land. You saw God's salvation expressed through Rahab the harlot, who God used to rescue the people of Israel to, pre to prepare a way for them to come into the promised land. And she ended up in the lineage of Jesus. You see God's salvation expressed to Ruth the widow, to David the murderer, to Thomas the doubter. Talked about it last couple weeks, to Peter the denier. You see God's beautiful salvation expressed through Paul, the persecutor. 
See, one of the reasons this salvation is so beautiful is because it's not limited. It's not limited by borders, by race, by ethnicity, by gender, by economic situation, rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, good or bad in your flesh doesn't matter because your salvation doesn't come through your goodness. It comes through Jesus Christ. Salvation knows no boundaries. God has offered salvation to every single human being when he said, whosoever will, come. Salvation is a beautiful, glorious, awesome, marvelous. I, I hate to call it a doctrine because that sounds cold. Because salvation that we have in Christ is alive. It's a living hope. It's not a cold doctrine. The fact that I am born again gives me hope when I go through rough times. The fact that, that Katie knew Jesus as her personal Savior, that she was saved, that she had this salvation, sealed her eternity. So it's not a cold doctrine. It's a living hope. It's something that you and I can hold on to. Salvation is something that's worthy of us getting down on our knees and spending time looking at it. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied prophesied about this grace, Peter says. Salvation came by grace. Grace is a gift of God that no one can earn. No one deserves what a beautiful gift God offered us through salvation. See, none of us deserve that kind of incredible offering, that gift. That's truly what a gift is. It's something that someone chooses to give you that they don't have to. If you've earned it, it's not really a gift. We haven't earned eternal life. We haven't earned a future, a hope. We haven't earned salvation. God has offered us this gift through his son. The only way that you can be saved is by grace. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man can boast. So the prophets examined this salvation intently, understanding that it was a grace, a gift of God. The second thing that you see here in this text is that as they were inquiring of it and as they were examining it, they understood that that grace came out of the sufferings of Christ. Though that gift is offered as a gift, a free gift to you and I, it was not free. The Son of God who did not deserve to die, the Son of God who had lived a perfect life, suffered intently, physically, and, and spiritually, as he took on your sins and my sins on the cross when he died for us, this salvation is a free gift that was purchased for you and I by the blood of Christ. The sufferings of Christ. And it was only through his suffering that you and I could be made right with the Heavenly Father that we could be saved. This salvation results in great glory to follow. Peter has already enumerated some of these things above, and so he's not revisiting what he said in verses 3 through 9. 
He's summarizing it. He's reminding us that, that this salvation comes by grace. This salvation was bought and paid for by the sufferings of Christ, and this salvation results in glories untold. And we'll talk about a little bit more here in a moment. The, the, the immeasurable beauty and future and inheritance that you and I have from Christ only comes through the gift of salvation. As I was uh, thinking through this yesterday, I, I was just reminded of the very fact that there really are only one, or there's two different types of people. There's two different categories. I was reading about it again that not long after the, the Titanic sunk, as they begin to get news information or identifying bodies of those who had drowned as uh, some of the ships had gone out into the Atlantic Ocean to try to recover those who were alive and, and to recover bodies uh, of those who had drowned, uh, the White Star Cruise Line that owned the Titanic had posted outside of their, uh, their business a wall that as they got confirmation of names, there was one side of the wall that said those who are lost and another side that said those who are saved. And as they got confirmation of a name that was either found and identified as deceased, they would post that name under the, the list of those who were lost. And then they would post the name of those who were rescued after they were positively sure they would post that. So families in London would come and anxiously look at that board to see whether their loved one was lost or saved. See, the truth is, every single human on this planet is either lost, separated from God, destined for an eternity in hell or they're saved because of the grace of Christ and their faith and they have an assurance of eternal life. Every single one, every single one of us fits in one of those two lists. Every single one of your kids your parents, your friends, your co-workers. They're either lost or they're saved. These prophets, as they inquired, they understood the weight and the importance of this salvation. And so the scripture says that <clears throat> Here, Peter's saying that God used these human agents to help us understand this salvation. First, he used the, the, the prophets. They dug into this salvation, and, and you see the predictions of Christ through the prophets in Isaiah 53. You see it in Psalm 22. You can go on and on and on throughout the Old Testament over and over. Those are two of the major chapters that, that point to Christ and his suffering and his death. But the Old Testament prophets 
dug into and sought out. The timing of this salvation, the, the, how it was going to come about, understanding that, that they would probably never see it with their own eyes on this earth, but they were doing it for us. They inquired what time and what circumstances the Spirit of Christ was indicating. So the Spirit of God moving inside of them was helping them to understand that, that this suffering servant, Christ, was going to come and that he was going to give his life. And it was revealed to them that they weren't doing it for themselves. They were doing it for us so that we would know. God used human agents to deliver that message. He used prophets to declare and to point to the coming of Christ. And then the scripture says here that as Peter writes to the church, he says, and God used human agents to bring the good news to you. These things have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. There's a beautiful play on words in there kind of because the, the, the word that's translated announced has the same root of the word that's translated uh, here, he's, he translates it, preach the gospel, euangelizomai. Uh, the same root is the word messenger, which is also translated angel. So that word, angelos, that root appears three times in this one verse. So you have the, this message, this announcement that came to you. Somebody brought you an announcement. Somebody came and told you. They delivered an announcement to you. They delivered a message to you. A human God used to deliver a message to you. And the message was a good message. Now that word gets translated in, in our, our English versions as to preach or to proclaim because it specifically is used in the New Testament to, to talk about someone who's declaring the good message, the good news. So you have this same root that appears three times. See, the, the, this announcement, this message that has been declared to you, which is good news that has come to you, is this salvation. And the messengers of heaven, that word angelos is that root. The messengers of heaven, the angels are kneeling down, examining it with all of their attention. It's all about the message of good news that God has for you. It has been delivered to you by someone some human. The prophets predicted it and wrote about it. So when Peter starts preaching the good news, he uses the proclamation of the Old Testament. He uses the text to say, hey, look, these guys were talking about it 400 years ago. These guys were talking about it 800 years ago. And now Jesus has come and Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And that's what Isaiah was talking about. So God used prophets to prepare the way to declare the good news. Then he used preachers. Maybe not a preacher like me who is called specifically, God's called me and set me aside for this role of shepherding, pastor, teacher. But he brought somebody into your life to declare to you the good news. Might have been your mom or your dad or a friend. Somebody bore the announcement of good news of salvation and brought it to you and to me. Now, you can deliver that message of good news to someone, but the only one who can reveal it is the spirit of the living God. Our job is to carry the news 
It's the Spirit's job to reveal it. So you see there in, in verse 12, these things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Spirit sent from heaven. It's the Holy Spirit who revealed the circumstances to the prophets there in verse 11. It's the Holy Spirit who opens the hearts and the eyes of those who are lost that they might understand the good news. You still had the human agent who's making an announcement, but you have the Holy Spirit in both cases who has to open the eyes and the hearts that people might see. Why do I dwell on that today? Because God has called you and I to be the human agents who carry the announcement of good news. It's a message of good news. The greatest opportunity and the, the greatest responsibility that you and I have is to be that human agent to those people that God has placed in our lives. Tell them the good news. They're dying and they will die without hearing the good news, and they'll die forever. God has called you and I to be those human agents to carry the good news. Our job is not to save anybody. We can't. Only the Holy Spirit can save a lost soul. But God uses human agents to carry his message, and his spirit to do the, the, the soul-saving work that only his spirit can do. We must engage in the work that God's called us to because this salvation is so, so important. Third point is I, I simply gave, enumerated three things that are all rooted in this text. So it's, how should we respond to this incredible, glorious, marvelous salvation? First, worship with gratitude for his grace because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve a living hope. We don't deserve any type of inheritance. We don't deserve it. So we ought to just simply return to him with gratitude and thanksgiving and worship the one who offered us this incredible gift. We, we begin by responding in worship. Second, we, we respond by obeying him out of love for what he's done for us. Jesus said, you know what? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Third, we study his message diligently as we grow to be his disciples. Notice the intenseness with which the prophets studied what was coming, studied the salvation, searched and carefully investigated, digging into to how it was going to come, through whom it was going to come, when it was going to come. They wanted to know. They, 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 they dug into the message that God had delivered them, and they intently, Peter says, studied, inquiring, because they wanted to know. Do you want to know what God has to say to you? I don't know how many times, you know, people say, well, I, I want to hear, I want to hear from God. I, I want to hear God speak to me. When's the last time you sat down and open the word of God 
and asked him to speak to you. We have an incredible opportunity every single day because we have more access to the word of God than any time throughout history. There are still folks in places around the world who do not have a copy of the word of God. And my guess is that almost everyone here, probably from about fifth grade up, has it in your pocket. If not, it's on your shelf, it's in your home. You have access to the message of God sent to you. We have a, this message is so important, it's so valuable, it's so beautiful, it's, it's worth your intense study. And then we need to pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal his message of salvation to those who don't know. Because evangelism, sharing the gospel, of someone coming to faith in Christ begins with prayer. Because I can't save a single lost soul and you can't save a single lost soul. The hope that we have is that God would move in the hearts of our brothers and our sisters and our children and our grandchildren and our moms and our dads and our cousins and we must pray, pray, pray. That's why every Tuesday night at 6.30, we gather right here, whether there's four of us or there's 20 of us. We write down the names of lost people and we share those and we break up into small groups and we pray by name for those who don't know Jesus as Savior. Because if he doesn't save them, they will be lost for eternity. And we can't. Only the, the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of those who are lost, can remove the scales of the blind so that they might see. But it takes both. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit joined together with those human agents whom God has chosen. Chosen. I'm not saying God couldn't save anybody out of the blue by himself. He has and he can. But God in his, his infinite wisdom has chosen you and I, the church, to deliver the message. He gives us that privilege of being a part of that, of his work. And so the lastly, number five, is to proclaim this salvation with urgency. We worship, we, we walk in obedience, we study the message, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work, and then we open our mouths and we declare the good news of Jesus Christ. This marvelous Glorious salvation that you and I relish and enjoy and place our hope in is worthy of that intense study, that focus, and it's worthy to be shared. I want you to imagine with me in this. There's probably a lot. Of, there, I know there's some movies that have been made that along this theme. A disease. In fact, you don't have to think very far back if you just think of COVID-19 and it's pretty close. Imagine this worldwide disease is spreading across the world. Now, it's a lot worse than COVID-19 because every single person will be infected by this disease and every single person will die from it. Everyone. 
not just the elderly, not just the immunosuppressed, every single person is going to get this this cancerous-like disease that is contagious. That's a good thing about cancer is it's not contagious, right? But imagine a disease that's like cancer, that there's no cure for, and it is contagious. And it has spread all around the world. And within a short period of time, every single person on the face of the earth is going to die. It sounds like it could be a Mission Impossible movie or some other Hollywood story. But this is real life. Your kids, your grandkids, your parents, every single person before the end of 2023 will die. Everyone. There'll not be a single human left on the face of this planet. But imagine a cure is found that is 100% effective, 100% effective. Every single person who takes this cure is healed. Everyone. There's some people that aren't going to believe it. There's some that aren't going to trust it. There's some who've already given up. See, though that's a fantastical story, it's actually true because there is, there is a disease who has caused the death that has caused the death of every single human soul, everyone. Everyone is spiritually dead because of sin. Everyone will die because of sin. And it's not just a physical death. Because see, we still hope, well, if I, if I get cancer and I die, I have a future. Not if you die with this disease. If you die with sin, if you die in your sin and it is not dealt with, it is not cured, it has not been cleansed from your soul, if you die in your sin, you will die and you will die in eternal death. That's a disease that has affected every single human who has ever walked on the face of this earth except one. There's one who was born without sin. There was one who walked in this world and never sinned. And yet, he's the one who voluntarily took your sin and my sin on his shoulders and died. Hear that. There is a disease that kills everybody. And there is a cure that will heal everybody. It doesn't matter, once again, your race, your background, your social status, whether you're rich or poor, you don't have to pay for the cure. It's already been paid for. You don't have to earn the cure. It's offered as a free gift. Every single soul is destined to die unless they receive and accept the cure offered by the Creator God through His Son, Jesus.
Peter here calls it salvation. He calls it a living hope. And he promises that every single soul who receives this gift of God, this gift of salvation, every single one of the billions of people who are alive on this planet right now, the billions who have lived before and the billions who will come in the future, every single one who has received this gift of salvation can walk in a living hope, can, can live in a, in a faith and look forward to a future that, that has a promise of an inheritance that is guarded by the power of God, an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Every single one of us who is willing to receive that cure, that gift of God through Christ Jesus, that cure of salvation for our souls has the promise of eternity. I can't help but think of the opportunities that, that we have this week when there will be literally hundreds of people right here in this room on this campus, many of whom do not know Jesus. And because of that right now, their name is over here under this category lost. And if they were to die today, they'd be forever separated from God. How many people does God want you to take that message to, to share that good news with, that his spirit might be at work to move their name from this category to this category, from lost to saved? Not just lost from this life, but lost eternally. God has offered us an opportunity. God has offered us a gift to cure the disease, the only disease that's eternal, the disease of sin. That's why this salvation is so marvelous. That's why angels got down on their knees to examine it more closely. That's why prophets committed their whole lives to try to figure out a doctrine, something that they would never get to see in their life, but we would get to because it's that marvelous, it's that beautiful, it's that effective. When someone puts their faith and trust in Christ Jesus as their savior, and they receive that living hope, they are changed, not for 10 years. They're not like a cancer treatment that extends your life for 10 or 15 or 20 years or a quadruple bypass that might add more years to your heart so that you can live another 10 years. Those who receive the gift of salvation receive a gift that extends their life forever, eternally. That's why this salvation is so marvelous. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.